This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Bookmark on the Bigger Picture with me, Uma Paganampike Pagan. Last November at the Singapore Writers Festival, I had the opportunity to meet and speak to some rather remarkable authors. Uh, one of them, whose work I discovered recently, was Gail Carragher. She is the author of these wonderful novels that blend together steampunk comedies of manners with paranormal romance and urban fantasy and historical romance and mystery. Hello, my name is Gail Carragher, and I write steampunk comedies of manners with a little bit of romance, a little bit of urban fantasy. And vampires. And vampires, yes. <laughs> yes. I, I read Soulless. It's the first one of yours that I've read. and It's a good start. It's a very, it's a very good start. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect, but I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so I, no, because How it's can this... you not have expectations and then have it defy them? <laughs> I know, because I heard steampunk and I heard a bit of gothic. And then I didn't expect this crazy mash of genres, which works really well. It is an everything but the kitchen sink scenario. And I thought it would never sell to a publishing house because they wouldn't know where to shelve it or how to market it or anything. And it wouldn't ever find an audience. And and strangely, it did all of these things. And I'm still confused. Tell me someone has bought the TV rights for it. Yes. Oh, they have? Yeah, it's been optioned. But but it's going to be... It's been it was optioned years and years ago and they keep re-upping it but I don't think anything will happen because it's so expensive because it is so many different things right it is a historical so it has all those costuming and it's steampunk so it has all the CGI for that and then it has supernatural creatures so it has all the CGI for that and it, I think it's just and then it's a remote location it's London so that's it's all like quite expensive it is complex yeah um, okay so so to start things off let me ask you what is the best piece of advice you've ever received about Writing. About writing. You have to finish it. I think a lot of... The, actually, I actually have a couple of pieces of advice. Is that all right? Oh, please. Please. <laughs> the first one is like the muscle... There's some, some things like NaNoWriMo, which uh, I don't know if you're aware of, uh, National Novel Writing Month, train you in, in how to be consistent with your writing and, um, and how to do it every day and exercise that muscle. But I think most, most writers that I know that are younger struggle with actually finishing a book. And unless you can do that, unless you can write the end and complete it, uh, you're not you're not really an author yet. You're you're a writer until you can finish it. So that would be my first one. Um, and my second one is is my favorite piece of advice, which was given to me by my friend Merle Lafferty, um, who's who has a podcast called I Should Be Writing, and she always says that you must give yourself permission to suck, which just means that. No one, the secret is no one reads it when you're writing that rough draft. And it's okay to let yourself be bad. You can fix it later. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think people try, I suppose even in this age of writing on computers, there is a tendency to edit as you go along. It's a lot easier to edit on screen and delete stuff than on paper. And so you will go back and you will rewrite that first chapter over and over again to try and make it more and more perfect, but you never... Fin- you never get a chance to finish then. I, I read this uh, great little blog entry by Chuck Wendig. Ah, uh, I love him. He's great, right? Um, and, and I think it's called Finish Your Novel, You Beast or yeah, You Monster yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, with the F word somewhere in between. And uh, it, it was similar advice where he just goes, you know, just keep 
writing those words. Not yes. all of those words have to be good words. In fact, none of them have to be none good. None of them have to be good And words. the other secret to that, of course, is you think it's awful as you're doing it. But when you go back, it's never that bad. It's never as bad as you think. Oh, I don't know. I've written some really bad stuff. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this, the thing you wrote in seventh grade or, or when you were 13 is exactly as bad as you think. Probably worse. <laughs> so for you, is starting a book harder or finishing a book harder? Uh, I think starting. I don't know. Well, I, <laughs> I think... Uh, writers have peaks and valleys as we're writing a manuscript. And uh, a lot of my writer friends and I really love to talk about where those are. And I'm an every third person. So like starting it out, everything is new and exciting and fresh. And I don't have fear of the blank page because I'm an outliner. So I have lots of notes ready to go. Uh, but about one third of the way through, I suffer a crisis and I hate everything. And it's never, it's going to be awful and people will hate it. And Your it's never going to get public. My, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I've learned. I, I actually can look down and see the percentage I am through the book and be like, Oh, it's 30,000 words. It's 33,000 words. This is my point. Just got to push through it. And then about halfway through, I'm like, yay, halfway through. And then two thirds of the way through, it happens again, like clockwork. Um, and some writers, the halfway point is that point for them. And some writers, the first the first pages are the daunting ones. But for me, it's the one third and the two third. Right. Yeah. Am I right in thinking you've got, you've got three separate series I running do, at yes. the same time? No, they're, they all were... Completed before the next one started. Oh, okay. And yeah, I'm not an author who can balance. Some can. I, I have to be in one point of view's head at a time. What is, and I don't know if you can pick among your children, but what is the <laughs> best character that you've created? Oh, well, I love, I, uh, so I write all of my books are in the same universe. And so I like to reuse side characters. So familiar faces will pop up again. So if you've, read all of my books, you get a little reward. You get to see a familiar face. If you haven't, it doesn't matter. It's not going to be germane to the plot. Uh, it's, I call them a cookie. I give a little reader cookie. I was like, here's a cookie. You paid attention. Uh, you're all caught up. Well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done, reader. <laughs> but um, I don't, it's hard to pick among your children, but it, it does tend to be side characters that I really enjoy writing, I guess, the most. Why do you enjoy them so much? I think because they have so little screen time, so they can be whoever you want them to be. They're often they're ignored. Really, they're often, well, not in my books. People <laughs> love them so much. Uh, Lord Akeldama is a particular favorite. He's sort of a fabulous vampire uh, in my Whom series, everyone loves. Whom everybody loves and people are always asking about. Uh, and he's quite outrageous. He's based on some of my uh, San Francisco uncles, shall we say. Um, and people just love it when he turns up. And so do I because he's very easy to write. So I, I would say he's probably my favorite. Um, why the setting? Why this setting? Th this time period? Yeah, right? why this time period? What drew you to this time period? Well, I love the Victorian era because of the clothing. I always have. I was raised on BBC costume dramas. My mom's an expert. <laughs> I was too. Yeah, and I can, you know, I just love it. And I, I, I literally chose 1873 because some of my favorite dresses are the 1870s dresses. <laughs> I, I also, to be a little bit more serious, uh, chose it because uh, the Victorians weren't involved in any major wars at the time. They were involved in lots of minor ones. Uh -huh. And uh, the British refer to them as Queen Victoria's little wars. Um, and I didn't want my characters to have to deal with any major upset like that for the first series. Um, and, and it just has happened to fall out that I've never had to deal with that for the other series is too, unless I eventually get, I suppose, to the, to the boar or the, the war uh, that might, 
I might have to finally deal with a war. <laughs> in your novels, you kind of cross genres. There's, 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 there's um, an element of horror in the supernatural. There's an element of steampunk. And with it, I suppose, comes some science fiction. Mm. And, and of course, there's Victorian costume drama as yes. well. <laughs> comedies a- of manners. Yeah. A- a- comedies of manners. And what was it about these particular genres that had you think they're going to work really well together? We've seen so many TV shows, we've read so many comic books, which kind of concentrate on one or one the other. One or the other, other yeah. Um, and also lesser writers tend to fail when they try to do the whole... Too much at once. Yeah, too much at once. And also if you try to bring a comedy of manners into a vampire story. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it helps that I have a brain that tends to think that way. So I, I, I don't think I have like a stand-up comics brain, but I do have a kind of... I don't know, P.G. Woodhouse trained brain or something where I'm very attracted to the ridiculous and the absurd. Anyway, that's what's great about your comedy. I mean, even in the opening chapter of Soulless, it is essentially this just very deadpan moment between the protagonist and this vampire who doesn't know what she is and is trying to suck her blood. And can't. And And keeps losing his teeth. That's right. And, uh, And the other part... For me, that's fun. It was fun about it's, that. It's Monty it Python-esque. It is Monty Python-esque. Yeah, I was raised on Monty Python. I like British humor very much. That kind of dry, witty, but also absurdist humor really charms me. Um, but it, it has, it ties, like I've worn vampire teeth, right? Like I've put them in and you lisp when you're trying to talk with those teeth and not like poke yourself in the, like, and so why, why don't new vampires lisp? It never occurred to me that they would not. So, you know, that kind of thing just comes really naturally to me. And so I guess it was, this is a little bit of a cop-out answer because I'm sure many authors say this, but this was the book I wanted to read when I first started these series because I was, I'm I'm a very voracious reader and I read widely. So I read science fiction, I read fantasy, I read romance, pretty much any commercial genre fiction I'm, I'm open to. And so I was struggling to try and find this book. Like I wanted a strong female protagonist, but in a historical setting. And I wanted, I wanted it to have the supernatural element, but not be like this dark, bitter urban fantasy, which, you know, was very prevalent at the time when I wrote Solace. And I, I, was really hungry for a female voice writing comedy because, I mean, we can probably between us name some of the most famous science fiction and fantasy comedy authors, and they're all men. It's Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams and yeah. Jasper Ford. So I was like, where are the where are the women? Where are my ladies? And uh, eventually I was like, well, she who sees the problem is the responsible for the solution. So I basically wrote Soulless, my first book on a dare. I was like, let's see if I can do it. And I'm going to give myself six months to do it in. That is as good a reason as any. I, I think so. That. Yeah. Can you think of a better one? <laughs> no, I love that so much. But uh, no, actually speaking of that, who then is your best favorite comedy. Female, female comedy writer? I, I, do you not have one? I don't have one. Because I'm, you mentioned I mean, that Connie, and I'm, Connie, I'm racking my brain right now right. and I'm struggling. Like Jody Lynn Nye, Connie Willis, they write things that are comic but I wouldn't necessarily call them comic authors. Not, not in the same vein as Pratchett Not in the same vein as Adams. Pratchett. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's a, a, an, a, an author from like the 80s and 90s called Patricia Reedy who wrote a young adult series um, that has some – that is pretty funny. But I don't think she would call herself, you know, naturally a comic author. So it, it's hard. I mean, we get um, stand-up comics who write, you know, amusing – Books, but they're sort of more memoirish, 
Um, yeah, in genre, it's rare. And I, I can tell you why and then why there are so few even male authors, which is it's incredibly hard. Yeah. It's really hard to write funny. Um, I challenge everybody out there to try it because no, there's not enough of it. There needs to be more. No, you're right. It is, hard. it is really, really hard to write funny. And also funny that somehow transcends mm-hmm. um, Funny that I'll find funny out here in Singapore and Malaysia, yes. right? Or my tra- my books in translation will find funny. Like, well, absolutely. I'm, I'm really, I really try to put as much different kinds of humor in my books. Like, I'm, I naturally gravitate towards uh, drier wit and sort of what you would call British humor, sort of deadpan humor, um, and wordplay, of course. But that's not going to translate very well to say. Japan, where they really gravitate towards slapstick humor more. So I also try to put that kind of humor in my books. And then I like to put sort of the ridiculous and the silly in the book too. And I parody a lot. I I do take the gothics, which you mentioned earlier. Um, I try to take something that I hope many readers are, are, if not, hadn't, haven't been educated in, at least are liminally aware of it because they read genre anyway. So the gothic tropes are prevalent. Um, And then I turn them on their heads and poke fun at them, like giving my vampires teeth and a lisp. What is the best response you've gotten about your book from men or boys? <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing is um, I remember very early on in my career in the audience, it was almost all women <laughs> uh, and then some husbands who'd been dragged along. <laughs> but as uh, I've gone forward and particularly after the young adult series, I started to see more and more men in my audience. And strangely enough, and I don't think it's kinky, at least I hope not. Um, military <laughs> men in particular gravitate really? towards the young adult series. Yeah, huh. they got, they've gone off on tour or various. Um, and I think it has something to do with the fact that my young adult series is about a school for spies. And I think this, the espionage genre kind of finally pulled more male, male readers in. Um, and they're, they're pretty like, <laughs> it's just really funny because my Fans, by and large, tend to be really excited and enthusiastic, and they dress up, and they're chipper. They're the most like friendly, outgoing readership you've ever met. Like my signing lines at a convention are, "Everyone's talking to each other." <laughs> it's great. I can I can identify a reader of mine <laughs> at a hundred yards. I'm like, that's my line right there. <laughs> uh, but in that line now will be a conservatory, conservatively dressed, like clean cut young man, <laughs> like sort of looking around and like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I love these books. And it's, I really want them signed. And I really want them signed. It's, it's totally adorable. Um, and I, I, I guess I, I think it's the espionage. Um, and I think a lot of it also had to do with, with the Parasol Protectorate series. I started to see husbands and boyfriends and partners come in because the wives and girlfriends and partners were in bed giggling. Laughing. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the, the guys <laughs> were like, hey, what and then would read passages out loud or something. And then eventually <laughs> just pass the books along. Well, okay. That, that answers my next question because I was going to ask you if it was a hard sell and if it was something that you actually actively tried to do to get more guys reading your books. Because every time I read young adult fiction, I, I read a lot of young adult fiction uh, because I'm curious to see where the genre is going. It, it went through that whole dark phase. Everyone wants to be like the Hunger Games. Um, and now it's, it's, it's kind of evened out it's kind of petered out it's you get a wider mix of things in the stuff that's come out this last season but at the same time they do have that problem it seems like it's from the cover design to where it's placed on shelves it seems like it's primarily targeting female readers 
Well, the sad fact of that is, is that's the market share. Is women and girls read more. Sorry. But the thing is, <laughs> but the thing is, is it, it's great and there's stuff in it for guys too. And, oh, yeah. and a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, right? of course not. Um, and uh, the great, like for me, one of the biggest parts of that aspect, not to be crass, um, is that you get a, I hope with my books in particular, if you are a straight man and you are reading them, you get a very good understanding of what women want, <laughs> which hopefully you are interested in. Well, that's a good, that's a good sell <laughs> If you right wish there. to be with a woman. <laughs> um, yeah, it's insight. It's insight into um, everything about being female, I think. Um, but no, I did not, uh, to answer your question, I did not intentionally target male readers. In fact, I'm surprised <laughs> more often than not when I was like, you, you are not my demographic, but welcome. <laughs> so the other thing I'm curious about is when it comes to writing this type of fiction, I mean, we all know that the publishing industry is still heavily skewed male. But what about this type of fiction? What about this genre? Is it friendlier towards women writers? Uh, this is steampunk, you mean? Or, steampunk, or um, gothic, gothic, supernatural, possibly. even young adult. Well, I feel like oh, young adult is a different, a different thing, at least in New York, because it is the uh, buyers and editors are all women. But, like very, very few male editors in the young adult genre that I've met or encountered. Um, so I think that that's significant. I think that's pretty significantly influencing what's, and they're, they tend to be younger women to this in their twenties and thirties. Uh, well, younger by my standards. <laughs> uh, I think it's getting there. I mean, I grew up in sci-fi fantasy as a genre and I was it was say. very male when I first started going to conventions. I was really like genuinely the odd girl out, um, you know, in a startlingly evident way. Yeah, that's right. I, I think back to, I grew up reading sci-fi and fantasy as well. And Ursula Le Guin. Yeah, Margaret, there are very few. Margaret Weiss were yeah. the kind of few names Andrew that, that's right, kind of stick to your head. But otherwise, you're right. It was, it was dominated. And sci-fi still is mostly dominated by male. There, I think there are, in fact, as a, as a younger reader, when I was, um, you know, 10, 11 years old, it took me a very long time to transition into reading science fiction as opposed to fantasy because there were just, I didn't feel like there was anything for me. I mean, there's, there's like Heinlein, there, there are gods of the field, but they are all gods of the field. And, uh, and I'm not frankly interested in reading yet another hero's journey. So I, I kind of... Only this time on Mars. I was on Mars, exactly. Uh, so it took me a very... And it took uh, some female... Specifically, I'm, I'm attracted to, to military sci-fi and space operas. And it took women writing that or co-authored uh, pieces that kind of pulled me into reading that genre. Um, so, but it has changed. I feel like it's changed a lot. I feel like in the US, at least, Comic-Cons have changed a lot in a strange way. Um, well, actually... Because they're, they've become way more gender diverse. Well, I, I think... In the next five years or so, great female comic book writers and artists are probably going to outnumber the men. I, I hope think, so. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I read so many of them right now, and they're, they're exceptional. Wonderful. People like Gail Simone. Have you read Gail like, Rat Simone's Queen? Amazing. Rat Queen's is a fantastic. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's written by a man, but it's, it's – uh, or um, I don't know, but 
B planet. B planet. That's fine. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Um, I figured it's the name of a title, so I can girl. get away with it. Squirrel, Squirrel, Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl. If you have a younger, if you have a younger um, reader, try try some try them with Squirrel Girl. Or if you're a 35 year old dude like me, try Squirrel <laughs> well, if you Girl. You want to get him into comics. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and, and even even the mainstream stuff, even, even the, the new even Marvel. And, and, yeah, yeah, they're embracing, which is it's really great to see. Um, and I suspect a little bit that of that might have something to do with manga as well. Uh, I feel like, at least in the States, the few manga houses we have have embraced female artists, and some of them have kind of have fluidly sort of transferring into what I would call mainstream comics. Um, and so, and that, and that, in uh, the more, uh, the more cosplay opportunities there are, the more females are going to start gravitating towards, um, towards Comic Cons and going to Comic Cons and. And, I, and again, I'm very optimistic about the younger generation of, of readers, whatever they are reading, um, because there seems to be, to me, so much more like just lack of care, which I love about whether someone is male or female. It doesn't seem to matter anymore or, or male, female or neither, you know, like and uh, and I think when when something gets normalized, if that's then it becomes it's not a problem anymore and. Thank heavens. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, one last thing, and I'm going to ask you to dig deep for this one. Okay. But it's, Ready. Uh, well, so it's something I ask everyone, and not everyone has an answer for it. But do you remember and do you have a best line that you ever wrote? Oh, my goodness. Well, um, I do know one that is a favorite of everybody's, which uh, it's kind of much of my humor and quotability comes from knowing my characters because my stuff is so character driven. So this is about Ivy, who is my uh, main character in my first series, Best Friend. And she has a propensity for extremely silly hats and outrageous clothes. And she's a little dramatic. Uh, and there is a description that Alexia, my point of view character, says about her as she and it's and it's Ivy walked as if uh, no Ivy came towards her as if she were walking with exclamation marks. Oh, I like that. Sort of, you know, bouncing along. Uh, and that one gets quoted quite a bit. <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh, Gail, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the interview. It's been a pleasure. That was Gail Carragher. If you're new to her work, I strongly urge you to check out Soulless. It is the first book in her Parasol Protectorate series of novels. It's a lot of fun. This is Bookmark on the Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.